Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim, and it's my privilege to talk to you this morning about value number eight, clear vision. 20th century uh, writer and social activist Helen Keller, she was unable to see because of her childhood illness. She said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Miles Monroe, who was a Christian leader and founder of the Global Leadership Forum, said, I think the greatest gift that God ever gave man was not the gift of sight, but the gift of vision. Sight is a function of the eyes, but vision is a function of the heart. Vision is a picture of a preferred future. It's not necessarily what is, but what could be beyond us. When I think about the, the renovation talks that we've had, and, and maybe even you've heard a little bit of information about the renovations to come, just seeing a preferred picture of the future, and as we talk about the why of it, and as you see pictures of what it could look like, I see people come alive, because vision matters. I've seen it in my own life personally, starting a business and then working that out uh, with lots of effort, long days, rejections, many setbacks, financial challenges. What kept us going was the vision of what could be. So vision empowered us. And I've seen it in funny ways. You know, as you raise your kids, you see how a picture of the future can empower them. So we would do these 24-hour road trips to a place down south. And you could tell your kids, it's going to be long. It's going to be grueling. You're only going to get bathroom breaks. It's going to be smelly, all those things. But they just willingly rush into the van. Why? Because of the picture of what's ahead of them, the future. Palm trees, sunshine, day after day, beaches, Mickey, <laughs> Space Mountain. Vision matters. And in all the busyness of life, all the opportunities of our here and our now, in business, ministry, life, what you do, what you decide to do, what you decide to sacrifice for, what you pursue is very much driven by vision. And I found a common theme and that is among people that make a difference, people that live a legacy are fueled by vision. We're going to look this morning at vision from a Christian standpoint and to look at the Christ follower, the Apostle Paul. And today we're going to look at his life from a vision perspective and then we're going to look at ours. F.F. Bruce was a, a most respected scholar, and he's written a book called The Apostle of the Heart Set Free. It's all about Paul. It's been in my library for years, and every once in a while when I think about Paul, I go back to it and refer to it. And he makes some interesting comments about the life of Paul and Christianity in general. You know, Christianity began from a Jewish origin. Its founder was Jewish. Jesus was a Jew. His disciples, his immediate disciples, were Jewish. And they primarily proclaimed Jesus to Jewish people. Yet, in just over a little bit more than a generation later, after the death of Jesus Christ, Christianity is recognized by the authorities of Rome not as a Jewish religion, but as Gentile. How did that happen? Paul. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Bruce quotes another. He says, in little more than 10 years... St. Paul established the church in four provinces of the empire, Galatia, Macedonia, Achaia, and Asia. So that'd be like northern Surrey, Turkey, Greece today. Before AD 47, there were no churches in these provinces. Ten years later, in AD 57, St. Paul could speak as if his work was, there was done and could plan extensive tours into the far west without anxiety, 
lest the churches which he had founded might perish in his absence for want of his guidance and support. So you know today how people are so entrenched in their, let's say, their national political party, whether it's a liberal, whether it's NDP, or whether it's conservative. Imagine you as a person, you started up this upstart political party, and within 10 years, it's gone from being absolutely not on the map to everywhere across Canada, you have a representative office and, and a representation of a group of people that are just for this. It's, it's spread all across the nation. This is, this is sort of the picture of what happened in 10 years with the Apostle Paul. It's absolutely a phenomena. He covered, I think it's about 800, 800, 800 square kilometers no airplane travel, no social media, like, like the result of his efforts are absolutely staggering. Did he ever make a difference? Why? Because he was a man who was gripped by a vision. He calls it a heavenly vision. In Acts chapter 26, he's called before King Agrippa to give defense of his ministry. And let me just read to you some verses of what he said. Acts 26, verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom, from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes. And here's, here's the vision he's giving him of the future. So that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Paul was given this picture as he has this encounter with Jesus of what the future is going to be like, the ministry that he's called to, and he's going to see Gentiles. Now, you've got to understand from a Jewish perspective, this is absolutely radical. This is like mind-boggling that, that the Gentiles would come in droves into the faith in Jesus Christ. In the, in the 1870s, I was reading... Uh, it's documented in several places. Uh, the Methodists were meeting in a southern state of Indiana, and I think it was they're having their annual conference. And at one point, the presidents of one of the college talked about his his optimism for the future, and and he was asked, "What do you see?" And the president said, I, "Well, I believe we're coming into a time of great inventions. Remember, this was the 1870s, a time of great inventions. I think men are going to fly through the air like birds." Well, the, the bishop, that is sort of the overseer of, of the denomination, said, this is heresy. The Bible says that flight is reserved for the angels, and he quashed the talk of such things among them. After the conference, the bishop, the presiding grand, grand person, by the name of Milton Wright, went home to his two small sons, Wilbur and Orville. Okay, if you don't know why people are chuckling, and you need to Google this later, uh, Wilbur and Orville Wright are pretty well uh, recognized as the two who invented, flew, flew first successfully the first airplane. 
Jesus' vision for us is often beyond what we can think ourselves or would imagine. And connected to that vision, of course, is purpose. He calls Paul to a purpose. He gives him a mission. These things are all intertwined together. And Paul pursued it. Paul was gripped by it. So that it's not unthinkable to think that today, the reason that many of us are here in this room as Christ followers if you were able to trace it back from how the the word of mouth went from one person to another, and if we could just trace it back, it's not inconceivable to think that some of us are here because of the Apostle Paul's direct witness to somebody else. And if not that, that many of us would have to say we are here and have had greatly been influenced by the, the letters that this Apostle has written. So as we look at vision from the Apostle Paul, and we see the legacy that he left, let's look at a couple of things. First of all, clear vision begins with a person. Clear vision begins with Jesus. Paul was originally on the wrong path uh, because of what he thought about Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning, and, and maybe you don't know what to think about Jesus. That's okay. Um, this is a great place to explore that and, and to seek it out. Because we see in the Apostle Paul that God's like, God pursued a man who was completely against him and was in fact persecuting those who did follow Christ. This is the kind of man that Paul was before. He was opposed to Jesus. He considered him dead and he considered his followers as poison for their society. And then he met Jesus on a road to Damascus, there on his way to, to hurt more Christians. This dead Jesus suddenly became not dead to him. And it was this revelation of Jesus that brought radical upheaval to the life of Paul, but also brought absolute clarity as to the purpose and vision for his life. Someone has said the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you realize why you were born. And from that day forward, Paul's vision for his life and what he should do began and ended with Jesus. So when he's writing from prison to the Philippians, he would later say, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Read between the lines. Because if I die, I'll be with Christ. His whole vision of his life and what he should be about began and ended with Jesus and in that relationship with Jesus, in God's grand vision for the world and God's grand vision for the church, God also had a, a vision for, for the Apostle Paul. And I believe it's the same for you and me that follow Jesus. In God's grand vision for the church and, and the world, he's got this vision for you. He's got this purpose for you. And, and sure, it may not be like Paul's in the sense that it's center stage and, and, and you know worldwide and all that, but he's got a purpose for you. And I believe that as we see Jesus more clearly, as, as we walk in, in a close walk with him, as he reveals himself to us, what comes along with that also is a clearer and clearer picture, picture of what our life is to be about. Our vision becomes clear because vision, clear vision begins with Jesus. Secondly, clear vision is guided by the Spirit. So Paul has this encounter with Jesus. He's got a calling. He's got a, a mission. He's been given a picture and a purpose. And that, that vision that God gives him is going to be realized over time. 
So let me give you some examples of how this plays out and the role of the Spirit in that development. We read in Acts chapter 13 these words. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And the scripture says the Spirit sent them off. So Paul has a vision, and and as he has this vision, and he's carrying this, and he's carrying this mission, the Holy Spirit is active in giving them strategies as to how that should be carried out. So they're sent off out out of Antioch. And this occurred about 14 to 16 years after Paul's conversion experience. We call it Paul's first missionary journey. Now, I think we have a map here. And you can see he, he left Antioch. Now, this is going to be cool. Yes. He left Antioch here. They sailed over here. They went up to another Antioch, which, if you're reading your Bible, confuses you. Then they went to Iconium. And then they went, you know, he's almost killed here a few times. They go to Derby. Then they go back, retrace their steps, come back this, come back all the way back here. So uh, they had this amazing, amazing experience. And they they encounter that. They come back home. They report all that God's done, because God did amazing things. They they had never conceived that God would work among the Gentiles the the way that he has. And Paul reports this to the church. And then he comes back. And he he they begin to strategize again. And and from what you can what we uh, Think, reading between the lines, Paul probably had a strategy to go up here in Bithynia, probably had a strategy to go here where it says Lydia, if Ephesus is here on the coast here. So that, that is their strategy at this point. But something happens. We skip forward to Acts chapter 16 and it says this, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And they, they had come up to Mysia. They attempted to go to, into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and as you can see from the next map, they have a vision, and they end up going over to Europe. This, at the time, was the strategy of the Spirit. Paul, as they had prayed, and as they, they were thinking together, strategized Asia, Bithynia, But as they're open to what the Holy Spirit is saying, God has a different plan for this moment and for this time. Asia will be reached later. Bithynia will be reached later. In fact, we think that Peter was the one who ended up going into Bithynia. The strategy of the Spirit is to go to Macedonia, to go to Europe now. A number of years ago, I was pastoring a small church in Vancouver, and we had planned a missions trip to go down to Mexico to work with some missionaries that we knew there. And you know how it is, teeing something like that up takes, uh, you know, you gotta get a people's, number of people's schedules into place. You've gotta get the, the missionary schedule so it works for them. And they, they organize a bunch of things so that when you come, you know, you've got some meaningful ministry going on. And so we had this trip planned for September, October, I think it was. And it was around July, as we were meeting together as a team, preparing for our trip, I just started to get, you know, that spirit feeling you get. 
that something's not quite right. And so I shared that with our team, and I said, I don't know if we're supposed to go. That's a hard thing to say as a leader when you've got a lot on the line and you've invested a lot of time and energy, but I don't know if we're supposed to go. And immediately, one of the other team members in our group said, you know what? I don't think we're supposed to go either. See, God wasn't just speaking to one person. He was speaking to a number of people so that collectively they could hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, the strategy of the Spirit together. And in the end, we determined not to go at that time. Now, as it turned out, had we gone in that September, October, uh, there was a hurricane that happened in the exact area where we were going to go. And we would have been able to do very little ministry at the time. We ended up going the following January, February, and and the ministry was fantastic. Again, in the moment, it's sometimes so hard to trust and listen and believe, but when we we listen and and we walk with the Spirit and we hear His strategies and, and we alter our course according to His, so often we can look back later and say, yeah, it needed to happen that way. Vision. Paul knew from the day he met Jesus that he was called to the Gentiles. He had a picture of what would happen, but the carrying out of that vision was guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. Clear vision begins with Jesus. Clear vision is guided by the Spirit. Thirdly, clear vision will be tested. We read later in Acts these words in Acts chapter 21. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. The person who's writing this is Luke, the physician, who's traveling with Paul. So when he says we, that includes Paul. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And he would not be persuaded. We ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. It's always interesting looking at different people's commentary on this passage. Was Paul out of the will of God? Did he miss it? Did he blow it? Did the people... You can argue it several different ways, but one thing we know that what was going on was a test to Paul. Paul considered it a test to the vision and calling that God had for him. You see, he he had made a collection from the Gentiles that he desperately wanted to get into the hands of the church at Jerusalem. For him, it would be so strategic, the Gentiles giving back to the Jewish church in Jerusalem, and he wanted to get there. And he knew from from the way God had called him and the vision that God had given him and the mission that he called him to that part of the vision was that he would suffer for the Lord's sake. That he shouldn't be guided by where it would be easier for him, but he should be guided by the vision that God had called him to, the ministry to the Gentiles. But his vision was tested. This is not unusual in the way of God, I find, in talking to people and reading scripture. How many Christians have I met that once had this this burning vision for how God was going to use them, but it got harder, it got uncertain, it got uncomfortable, it got unpredictable, and so they got off the mission. I read in the Old Testament stories, you, you think of Joseph in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and God gives him a, a picture of that he'll be a man to whom 
Others will bow down, like he's going to rule. He's going to be in a place of authority. Even it seems father and mother and brothers will bow down to him. But that vision will be tested. And it looked all but dead for a long time. I mean, he's sold into slavery. And then he works in a high place of authority, but he's framed. He's tempted with with sexual temptation. He's thrown into prison. And then when it seems there's hope and he'll get out, he's forgotten. And it seems like he's rotting away one year, two years. But he held on to God. And God's vision for his life came to pass. And in all those trials and all that he suffered and all that he learned prepared him for what God had envisioned for him. Paul, Joseph, the vision will be tested, and not just for individuals, for peoples collectively. And so we read in the next book in the Bible, we read in the book of Exodus, how God calls a people group. And he, he delivers them from slavery. He delivers them from Egypt. And he promised them. He gives them a vision of the future. I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. So God gives them this vision and picture of what is to come. And they get there. And Moses sends some spies into the land. And I don't think those spies were sent into the land to see if this was a vision that God could carry out or not. I think they were sent into the land to, to, to think about strategies. How can we take this land? But they came back thinking that this was impossible. They took their eyes off God and they failed to enter into what God had envisioned for them. The vision was tested. So we need to ask ourselves, will we trust God? Will we be faithful to the mission which he takes us on and what God has envisioned for our lives? Will we? Clear vision begins with Jesus. Clear vision is guided by the Spirit. Clear vision is tested. So clear vision begins with Jesus. We, we need to be constantly drawing near to Jesus. That, we need to be developing and growing in our relationship with him. As we do that, our vision gets clearer. If our vision is guided by the Spirit, we need to pay attention to, we need to walk with the Spirit. And if vision is tested, we need to prepare ourselves to persevere and not get thrown off the first thing when the first difficulty happens in our lives, but actually prepare ourselves that it could be difficult, it could be long, There may only be bathroom breaks, but it will be worth it. And when we do that, we leave a legacy. At the end of his life, Paul would be able to write this. As he writes to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What a statement to be able to say about your life. Now notice that what Paul says next is that his vision went beyond his ministry to the Gentiles and what God would do there. It's, even that is enveloped in a larger vision of God for humanity. Henceforth, there is laid up for me in the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. Paul was gripped by Jesus the vision that Jesus gave him, the mission, the ministry, and he was gripped by the future that Jesus had for him, not not just on this earth, but for eternity. And he worked, and he sacrificed, and he suffered, 
And he left a legacy that ripples out to us even today. So what about us, our vision? Well, I know when I'm talking to you that, first of all, we think about it individually, and often we think about our individual vision and, and the vision of a church. We see them as opposed to one another, that they're somehow maybe even in competition with one another. Now, some people may say see their individual vision, what, what God has planned for them, intersecting with church a little bit. And so you have this overlap where part of what God has for my life and part of the church, well, there's a slice of it. I'm going to suggest to us that our individual vision, what God has for us, his plan for our, for our lives, is part of something much greater. It's actually enveloped by something much greater. First of all, God's vision for the world and his instrument to that world, which is the church. As we find our vision in the bigger picture, then we will find ours for ourselves. And so this morning, as I'm talking about the vision of Central Heights Church, if you're part of this church, we are an expression of that that global church, the one church of Jesus Christ. But this is our expression, and so it matters to, it should matter to us what our vision is and that we can align with that. If you're here this morning from another church, I would just encourage you, or if you're not part of a church, I would encourage you, you need to be part of a church. And with that church, align yourself with the, with the vision. You, you've got to be able to do that because Jesus builds his church and he places people together so that collectively, with Jesus as the head of the church, they can do the ministry to the world. So for Central Heights, here's what we said and why we value vision. We value spirit-led, forward-thinking vision based on a passion to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Such vision demands that we be ready to risk our comfort for the kingdom of God as we step out in faith. It fuels a pioneering spirit that takes us beyond our comfort zones and results in transformed lives. We value the freedom to try new things without being bound by the fear of failure or our personal preferences or tradition. You know, I think Paul could have easily penned those words. When you think of his life, based on a passion to make disciples of Jesus Christ, ready to risk our comfort for the kingdom of God, freedom to fail. It sounds like him. It's been interesting as I've heard some of our history of Central Heights Church and what's taken place in a timeline. We talk about that in our Reno information evenings, some of the timeline of Central Heights this has been an adventuresome church, planting churches, multiple services. This has been part of the DNA of this church before, sending many missionaries into the world through the years. This has been Central Heights. And here's how we've worded our vision for now. After discussion with leaders and, and prayer and talking about this, this is what we've settled on for now. The vision of Central Heights, a movement of more and growing followers of Jesus, developing healthy churches for the glory of God and the flourishing of our city and the world. To unpack that a little bit, uh, we're going to show you a brief interview uh, that was done with one of the leaders in our church and one of our interns at the time, Wes Braun. So have a look at this, and then I will come back. So that guy kind of looked like me. Sounded like me. And I know that Wes is with me on this. And I know that the elders are with us together on this. 
And I know that many of you resonate with this calling from God and what he wants us to be and to do. I just want to talk to us briefly about what are some of the practical things. It's nice to talk about it in nice big terms. What are some of the practical things that this will mean for us going forward as a church? When we look at more and growing followers and we're talking about transformed lives, I, I couldn't help but think about some of the experiences of my own life with, with people that didn't know Jesus and developing a relationship with them and then over time where they come to that point as, as God works in their life and they've been exposed to the community of other Christ followers that, that I have in my circle and, and you just watch God drawing them and drawing them and drawing them and they make that commitment to Jesus Christ. Uh, to me, it, it's right up there with being there with one of your children being born. There's a place, if you can believe this, there's a McDonald's parking lot in Vancouver that is like sacred to me because it was at that place in that parking lot by Science World where a young man from Japan, and I had this conversation, and I asked him what he thought about Jesus. He'd been hanging around us, with us for a while, and he said, I would die for Jesus. I said, well, and there in my car, he committed his life to Jesus. When we talk about more and growing followers of Jesus, that's what we're talking about. That we are, we are Christ followers ourselves who, as we live our lives and the rhythms of life, whether it's at work, whether it's in our neighborhood, that we want people to know Jesus because we know Jesus. And there's nothing in the world that's worth more, nothing more satisfying than this relationship with Jesus. And so we are all about how can we lead other people to know Jesus the way that we know him. And so we adjust things in our life to make room for them in our lives. And we adjust things in how we do church when we come together to make it hospitable, to make room for them. And so we talk about more and growing followers. Our facility needs to facilitate that. And how we do our services needs to facilitate that. And so we've talked about we need more services. And, and part of that is to make room for people. Uh, there are some Sundays when if our lower bowl is 80% full, we're full. That's what people who study churches will tell you. And I've been told that if your balcony is 50% full with that, you're full. And so you need to do something about that. And so we prayerfully, with lots of discussion over the last, you know, it's, I think it's been more than a year, we've, we've decided that this fall we're going we're gonna to take a risk. And for a pastor of a church, it's extremely risky Talk to church planters who, you know, it's risky to plant a church, and they said it was way more scary for them to go to a multiple service than it was to plant their first church. So just so you know, I'm not all like, this is, I'm bold, and we're, you know, I'm, I got no scaries about this. But I just think we need to do it. I think God is asking us to do this, and so here's what it's going to look like. We're going to have a worship 
Uh, there'll be a, a, a service here at 9 a.m. In the, in the worship center. Then at 10.30, there'll be a traditional music at Nickel Hall at 10.30. And then at 11 o'clock will be, again, the contemporary kind of music here at 11 a.m. So we'll have three services. And this is what it's going to look like if our numbers are based on a month in, in May or whatever. We're going to maybe have 200 adults and 75 kids at a nine o'clock service in here, that's gonna look and feel different. But if we're on mission, if it's about more and growing, then it's worth it. It's gonna be worth doing it. And you need to know that the average size of a church in Canada is 75 people. So when we gather in here as 200 people, we are still a big church. So there'll be approximately 150 adults and talking with the leaders of, of Nickel Hall, I got the sense they'd be excited to plant another Nickel Hall service. Wouldn't that be exciting in the days to come? And then a service at 11 a.m., uh, no slight, young adults sleep in, so most of them will come maybe then at 11 a.m. And so maybe the kids will be more in the, at the nine. Or the, but this is what it's going to look like, and it's going to cause all of us to... To, to experience some change. Every one of us is going to experience some change as we go through this, but it is unto this, more and growing followers of Jesus Christ. Because we are out there wanting to lead people to Jesus. Sometimes they will want to be with us to explore things here, and we want it to be a place where they can do that. More and growing followers, developing healthy churches. So we will have an emphasis on community groups. We will need to be healthy through our community groups. We'll have emphasis on church partnerships. So we'll continue with our partnership with La Cantera in Mexico and with Meta in the West End of Vancouver. We will look to plant churches. And what's really interesting is, as I hear the church planters talk about multiple services, I had no idea about this, but Actually, going to multiple services is the baby step to planting your first church. And so as we go to multiple services, it is preparing us to plant churches down the road. All of this is for the glory of God. So we will continue to emphasize the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he is Lord over every area of our life, and that we want to worship him passionately when we're together, but also we want to worship him passionately in the things that we do in our community. Which brings us to the last bullet point, the flourishing of our city and the world. See, as God works in us, it is going to bring life to the world around us. Ezekiel has that picture of the river of life flowing from the throne of God, and it gets deeper and deeper, and everything it touches, it brings life. As I was thinking about that, that for us, for Central Heights Church, my heart was made full because of what we're already doing. And I want to commend you because we are affecting the schools in this city. Uh, we sponsored a, the Starfish Backpack Program so kids could have meals all throughout the week. We've been involved in a local elementary school, feeding them breakfast, hosting different things, partnering with them. We've given aid to the community. We've helped kids go to kids' camp. We've helped families go to camp so they can have time together in a healthy environment and, and hear about Jesus. And in that light, I just got to read you this letter from, we've also helped sponsor some kids to go to camp in the West End of Vancouver in partnership with Meta. And here's a letter that Dennis sent to me recently in response to that. 
I'm so excited for the girls that will be able to go to this camp. Sounds great out at Hatsik Lake, she writes. When are you letting her know about this? Wow, so wonderfully surprised by this invite from my girl. I had looked up the website and the checklist of things, and the one thing we do not have is a Bible. Or maybe we do. There is a box in storage that I do believe has an old one that my mother-in-law passed on to us from her grandmother or something, but would that one work? You will have to pardon me for not being in the loop of what an acceptable Bible would be for a child not Bible savvy. And does my child need to learn how to look things up? I would need to learn with her. I have no clue. I would like Veronica to have a great experience and not to feel completely awkward with not being Bible knowledgeable, at least with the basics. I suspect you may be able to help me out. Thank you. Doesn't that excite you? We've helped sponsor refugees from Syria, uh, ran into them this week, had a great conversation. Um, we've been supporting missions, people going out. We've been doing relief. We've got our women's drop-in center here on Thursday morning. I'm going to forget things, but it just, it just we've got our women's drop-in with a food bank. We've got young adults serving on a regular basis and in the evenings. We've got our car ministry, like all these things for the flourishing of our city and the world more and growing, developing churches, the glory of God, flourishing of our city and the world. We envision this becoming a movement. That is, it's not about us and what we can do. It's only what the Holy Spirit can do. And so we need to be in prayer. We need to have humility before God, and we need to be intentional. Where is it that God is calling me and his plan and vision and mission for my life that fits in with what God wants to do through his church to impact the world, this city, for Jesus Christ. As we sing the song of response, Be Thou My Vision, I just encourage you, um, if you resonate with this, let your hands go high and just dedicate yourselves to God in your own life, the vision he has for you, but also how he's called us together on his vision and mission here. God bless you.